it's just because I'm trying to just move my wrist and it's don't, hard. Don't, don't worry. Don't worry if you're not making perfect bubbles. I mean, I'm not. <laughs> it's not happening. I'm not worried. I'm just like, well. Welcome to Nourish by Spinnies, the podcast which promises to inspire you to eat well and live well. I'm Tiffany Eslick. And I'm Devina Devecha. This is a space where we hope to nourish your heart and soul. On this show, we chat with leading players in the food community, from farmers to foodies, as well as health and well-being experts. It's all about engaging conversations and fresh ideas. Today, we're talking about all things Japanese tea with Victoria Toma. So that's a bit of history and culture, some facts on tea production, and a few techniques on brewing tea. But before we get into all of that, I have to say, this was such a fascinating tea tasting. Have you done a tea tasting before? Yeah, I've done one in Hong Kong, in Japan. Um, I actually did one here in Dubai many years ago, but a, a much sm- on a much smaller scale. Yeah, I did one actually in Dubai as well many years ago in a Taiwanese tea yeah, shop. Me yes. too. Oh, we did right to the same place. <laughs> yeah. Okay, great. Um, but I mean, even with all of those experiences, I at least for me, I don't think I've had that much tea in a single sitting as I did with Victoria. Yeah. Um, and she did compare it to being quite similar to a wine tasting. So, you know, you learn about the regions, the cultivation process, uh, you taste for mouthfeel, which was a surprise. Um, there's different pottery based on the type of tea that we tasted and how you'd like to serve it. Don't you think mouthfeel is such a weird word? I always have a problem when I hear that. Well, yes, anyway. it is a weird word. Um, yeah, it really was a lovely experience. Um, and I'd really recommend it to anyone who's really like into tea yeah. or would like to know more and knows nothing about tea. Um, you know, Victoria gives you a big overview of tea regions around Japan and the types of tea that's cultivated as well. For some background for our listeners, Victoria is the founder of Ikigaicha, where they focus on single estates and single cultivators. So they work and source from small farmers directly to bring their teas here, in addition to, of course, educating through tea masterclasses, just like the one we attended. Yes, and you know, Victoria told us about how her own journey of learning and mastering Japanese tea started with her love for Japanese food. The more you're starting to appreciate the culinary part of Japanese cuisine, the more you're trying to, re- to add the level of sophistication towards the tea pairing and sake uh, pairing as well. And the more you find in those really sophisticated dishes, you're trying to perfectly um, uh, pair them with the with the teas. I think it's just a kind of that aspect. Yeah, it's like and a then natural it's, illusion. And yeah. Yes, and then it adds the pottery element. And then the pottery adds what kind of uh, teas are coming from the region where the pottery comes from. It's basically becoming yeah. ongoing <laughs> ongoing chase for the best. Tea. <laughs> yeah. Non-stop passions. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So we covered quite a lot during the masterclass, didn't we? We started out with a sparkling tea, then a cold brew, a few warm brews, and finally a lovely iced tea and some matcha tea and matcha desserts. Tiff, what was your favorite part from the morning? I think making the snack out of the tea leaves. Yeah, so you like did the, enjoy that. <laughs> tea salad. Um, tea leaf salad is the new, the new way forward. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and I think what we did with, you know, the leftover tea leaves uh, also means zero waste, which is amazing. I love that we added soy sauce and sesame. It, it just, it was so um, flavorsome. Yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah. Um, what did you enjoy most? Um, I'd say the matcha desserts. Uh, obviously, the tea experience was great. Um but closing out the experience with the delicious matcha cheesecake and the matcha tiramisu, that was amazing. Uh, I think it was also, I guess, my first time 
tasting matcha that I really, really liked. So that was great. I am with you on that. I yeah. mean, you you know how much I actually don't like matcha. <laughs> and Victoria managed to change my mind. Yeah. It's all about good quality matcha. Definitely. Yeah. Okay, so on with our masterclass. So welcome to Ikigai Chem. Oh, thank you. We will be basically starting with the... We'll be playing between something served in a glassware and something brewed in a traditional pottery. Okay, cool. And all Japanese tea, obviously. Yeah. Yes, yeah. 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 <laughs> She's like, definitely nothing else. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I don't discriminate other mm. teas, for sure. There are so many amazing, amazing tea regions. But I just feel like the Japanese tea, they've been so um, uh, kind of... They've been, they've been so much marketing fluff around the key categories and the consumers don't really understand anymore. And that's why we're trying not to mix in the same portfolio uh, other Asian teas. Because I'm hearing some of our customers and consumers, they'll be like, oh, I've been tasting Chinese sencha. How is that different to Japanese? There is no Chinese sencha. <laughs> and, you know, just to have it like a very, very... Uh, you know, fresh start on the calibration of the category. We're like, no, it's only Japanese. And everything dates back to the culinary aspect of the Japan, which I was been, I've been involved for really quite a while. And I guess the tea just adding that layer of the category appreciation overall as a Japanese F&B. Okay. So yeah, it's all about Japanese tea. Um, I try to structure it as with the element of discovery rather than being just a very kind of factual about the you know technicality of the farming and the producing it's more of the what i haven't think what i haven't uh, i've never heard about the japanese tea tea in general how it be consumed that's why we will be having um, the tea being served in different uh, with the different brewing techniques so from the sparkling tea and that's exactly where we'll start okay cool so the very first tea um which will be part of our menu is a sparkling tea. I mean, I guess it combines um, two really buzzy words. Uh, first of all, sparkling. Everybody likes sparkling things. So we have the sparkling aspect. We have organic aspect. So um, and as well, we have a blend of two varieties of tea, which is the Sencha, is a premium Japanese loose tea, and matcha, which is the premium powdered uh, Japanese tea. So you have the whole. Uh, USP of sparkling organic sencha with matcha. Regardless, that it's, uh, despite that it's sounding quite complicated, it's very simple to prepare. Um, you first of all make in the cold brew, where you um, infuse in the teas with just the cold water. Mm -hmm. And we have a very um, easy formula for that, which is specifically uh, coming in the, it's packed for, for that particular purpose, which makes it very mess-free um, preparation. And then after 20 minutes, you're getting an emirate color of the brew. So matcha gives you that uh, faultless uh, brew anytime you do that. And then we would be carbonating it aluminium. Okay. So for that, we like to use the sparkling machine. Uh, the idea is to add gentle carbonation and at the same time avoid oxidation because green teas are unoxidized. So anytime then there is a uh, contact with oxygen, they're losing the green color. So mm, that's okay. how sometimes we see green tea, but it's actually a kind of yellow hue brew. Yeah. Yeah. It's either the tea which passes best or there is a, some storage issue with the tea. So yeah, green color is actually a good sign. 
um, I mean, it's, there are more technical aspects coming as a, you know, during the farming, but primarily in a consumable kind of way that could be an aspect. So what we're going to do, we'll just, we have our cold brew, which actually can be prepared prior, and then we will gently add some of the bubbles. We will decompress it, and we would not be expecting the, um, the bars like it would be in Prosecco in Champagne, but it will be about one bar. I think I've had this um, at reefs. Terry Barry, yes. and it was delicious. Yes. So I'm so glad to learn about it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And so, are you working with a number of different chefs to to do tea I mean, pairings? Or exactly. I mean, tea. Um, I will talk about this a bit in depth. It's still considered as a commodity. It's some kind of why do I need to do a tea menu? I will just have a chamomile black tea, Earl Grey, whatever, whatever green tea. Not highlighting on the origin. Not highlighting on the brand in a nice way on the farmer who actually put all those efforts. It's basically, it doesn't matter. It's just a water, a tea, whatever. And in this case, the, when the um, professionals, f professionals, they would be grouping tea with coffee, at the end of their cocktail list, they give no emphasis to the consumers. And consumers, they take it for granted. They will be also not paying attention what kind of teas they will be having, and they will not have an expectation to enjoy something special. So our initiative, and uh, Chef Leaf is one of the definitely very iconic mm -hmm. um, chefs of the region. He does appreciate this aspect. And since Tero is the omakase focus, but I believe it's a omakase on steroids. I call it that way. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. very unconventional. <laughs> so for us, we just wanted to add the tea on steroid effect to basically, instead of just serving uh, teas and the pots in a very, very traditional way, we added the element of sparkling, the cold brewing, all of that. So I'm really happy that you enjoyed that. Yeah, I loved it. Uh, and I'm, I'm really glad that this trend is getting picked up mm -hmm. and more and more chefs, uh, both um, European chefs and traditional Japanese chefs are starting to use the tea in that way. Mm -hmm. So for example, a very traditional restaurant, Itadaku, mm -hmm. they are extremely, extremely traditional they also been serving sparkling tea so it's becoming a kind of well-embraced trend and this is just to give you the idea that it can be used as a base so it can be first of all uh, used as an alternative to sparkling water mm -hmm. because you will have the antioxidants uh, and vitamins so it's uh, high in vitamin c ascorbic acid uh, b complex and vitamin e plus uh, a dash of the amino acids all in one bottle and zero calories. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Um, so it can be drink as is, or it can be used as a base of the mocktails. So you have your lemongrass. Uh, you can either go into the herbaceous, so you have your lemongrass, basil, mint, or you can go into your citrus. Mm -hmm. It's really very pairing well, yuzu, lemon, or we're doing some of the tea masterclasses for kids. They like to add the fruits and <laughs> yeah. Or if you decide to have it as a cocktail, that also can be used as a really nice cocktail. In this case, you will have it as a uh, you have it as a base, and you top it up with gins because the botanicals from the mm -hmm. gym really well pairing with the green tea. Or um, as simple as um, some of the other clear spirits, sake, prosecco. Okay, it's very easy. Yeah, it's such a stunning color as well. I mean green color sparkling in the flute i think yeah <laughs> it goes yeah <laughs> and completely guilt-free actually i converted our children so yeah. they're quite young um to opt for sparkling tea instead of soft drinks oh. and they're really fine with that i mean yeah 
they do. That's a win. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can definitely uh, add some of the agave syrup mm -hmm. or honey, yeah. uh, maple syrup to add a sweetness to that. Or you can stick it to a nice bubbles. Mm. Completely guilt-free. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Really nice. I like that there's no bitterness and that sort of strong tannin, you know, yeah. Uh, specific of the brewing with the cold water is that as lower the temperature, it does not extract any bitterness. It just basically takes the heart of the tea, extracting only the umaminess mm -hmm. and the sweetness, if the tea possessed. Not every tea will be actually benefiting from the cold brewing, but the ones which are spring harvested, very fresh teas, they actually can give that. Okay. If you get just a very old tea and try mm. to cold brew it, that's not going to happen. So with the cold water brewing and the next tea, it's going to have the even more kind of uh, impulse. It will show even more um, profoundly the impact of the cold brewing. Um, it will have no, no bitterness at all. And that's exactly the way how you can keep 100% all the antioxidants and the vitamins because of the cold brewing. Okay. Medicine. Yes. <laughs> Medicine. <laughs> And is it quite open to kind of like, is it quite subjective with tasting tea? So if I feel like I can taste something and Davina tastes something completely different, is that normal or is there quite sort of strict rules of what you should, not rules, but things that you should be tasting when you drink It's absolutely these? the same way as in, with other beverages, mm -hmm. wines. We all have very different appreciation yeah. and somebody will be just really into, I don't know, tannic wines and he will be really looking forward to have that beautiful tightness of the you know Cabernet Sauvignon and mm -hmm. for somebody it will be just a very off element of that so it will be completely the same mm -hmm. the Japanese tea has got over 130 um, tea cultivars okay. which are also give it will be the equivalent of the uh, grape varieties yeah. and over three dozens of the teas and they will be all on top of that having a different regionality specific so they will be different and the, yeah you will just as you go with your discovery you'll say yeah that's ex that's exactly my cup of tea yes, yeah. <laughs> or you'll be kind of still searching for something which you are you know yeah more into it so no well, you've you got 132 works through, I, so, be, yeah. I mean definitely to um to kind of appreciate the typicity of every tea. There will be common traits of it that you know, each of us will agree. You know, it has, for example, this tea has got low bitterness, it has got a dash of umami, it has got a dash of sweetness. It's very refreshing. That will be the common kind of characteristics. Uh, but as we will unfold our tastes, and you will see there will be some more provocative flavors. Okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we like... will have a different appreciation on that. <laughs> I love this map because it represents the map of Japanese tea, and it shows that 95% of all tea is coming from those 15 prefectures, mm -hmm. and each of them are having their specialties. So when we're shopping for the tea, we're shopping absolutely the same as we would be shopping for the cheeses, okay. olive oils, or wines. So terroir. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Terroir in tea is, I guess, it's even more than in many, many other agricultural products. Even I don't like to talk about the Japanese tea as agricultural product because it's just so much more sophisticated. Yeah. Again, if you just don't put it everything under the umbrella of green tea, yeah. Because in this case, we're basically competing with the rest of the world of the green tea. And here, the Japan is different. This particular tea, which we're going to have it now, it's coming from Kyushu Island, Yame region. And it is a very specific place. And this tea just got um, Nihoncha 2023 award. So it's an all Japan tasting competition. It's done every year. 
Um, so this year, there were 538 T's submitted on the first round. Then there are two rounds of the internal uh, evaluations. After that, it gets brewed into 20 platinum awards. So this T is one of the 20 platinum awards. This T is the single cultivar. So in a similar way, as we will be appreciating fine wines coming from the single estates and, you know, specific crews, uh, it is a really nice trend and I really support it of um, appreciating tea based on the uh, estate cultivar and, and the smaller delimitation area. It doesn't mean that blended tea are, some, are less superior, but I would say it is a Bal uh, harmony, like we would be having, for example, a non-vintage champagne. It's a harmony and a kind of the same style of the tea, um, champagne or tea repeated every year as a signature of that specific farmer. Or it will be the single cultivar, which will be reflecting the terroir and the year. And that will be talking about the individuality and precision. And this particular tea, since it's quite special, has got, will definitely benefit from cold brewing. Actually, I picked it up during my recent trip uh, where I visited my farmer. I like actually every year, at least once, go and check mm -hmm. what's happening, what's the new trends. And it's also amazing to visit the local restaurants and the markets within that prefecture, chat, yeah. pick up new samples, <laughs> back with lots of ideas. And it's amazing. And every time they will teach you something fascinating. So when I visited Kyushu Island, so imagine the South, mm -hmm. people from the South, they are very open, they love to chat, they like to eat, they like to drink. Mm -hmm. uh, they will be very different than people from Tokyo or Kyoto. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Much more, you know, rigid in their uh, etiquette. And um, if you were to be invited in Kyoto or, or somewhere in Kansai area for a tea, you would expect a cup of matcha. Mm -hmm. That would be basically a very similar uh, kind of uh, approach to hospitality. Well, when I was visiting Yame, and it's very suburban, it's nothing really to expect. I was shocked when I was welcomed in a team room, and I was welcomed by the um, uh, just a, a table full of Riedel glasses. Whoa. Okay, <laughs> let's do the tasting. <laughs> and um, I was served um, a tea, Sencha tea, served by exactly the method which I will be doing now. So it's a cold brewing, and hence you have the white wine glasses mm -hmm. for that. In general, um, tea is a huge category. It's actually second in consumption in value and volume after water. So it's not RTDs, not wines, not beers, not soft drinks, nothing. It's actually tea. So it's very important. And um, the production is increasing and consumption is getting actually, um, it is a swap between some of the categories, particularly coffee. Some of the coffee volume is, doesn't mean that people are not appreciating coffee. Coffee is a fantastic category, but there is some of that move due to the health benefits and other preferences. Um, among the top producing regions, countries, there will still be those traditional ones which would associate with. However, the, um, the spread of the quantity will be so different in terms of the production. So China is making around 2.7 billion tons of tea. India, one, around 1.4 billion tons of tea. Sri Lanka, Nepal, or around 1 billion. Japan is barely making in top 10. But the gap between those uh, top 10 among them uh, is very, is very kind of, it's very far away. It's very apart. Um, Japan is barely making around 65, 68,000 tons. 
thousand ton, billion ton. Mm. Yeah. So everybody would be raving about matches and centuries, but in fact, uh, even from those 68, 65,000 tons, only around 5% are exported. So it's very, very tiny fraction. That's why we really need to, when we want to have a really good tea, we need to understand where exactly it's coming from. So traceability is super important. So otherwise it's just becoming a brand Japan and whatever has got something Japanese sounding, you will feel like it's the right stuff, but mm. it's not. What's happening actually with, in Japan? So the production is declining. So it's, an, it's a basically consistent um, trend for the last 40 years. The, the production is declining. It's declining because of the uh, consumer trend. Mm -hmm. And as well that uh, there are less uh, farmers uh, are able to brew, uh, able to produce the tea. The generation is aging out of five farmers. Only probably in the next 10 years, only about one will keep doing that. And the farm farmers, they're basically, they are pushing their uh, 60s, 70s and 80s. So mm -hmm. they are not fit anymore to climb the hillsides. Yeah. <laughs> perform such a difficult agricultural um, job. And the young generation, they consider it not cool. They want to be in offices. So that shift is there. Um, and yes, definitely there is a trend to other beverages, including tea. And there is a bit of the, I mean, quite a bit of the bottled tea production consumption going on, but that's not really focused on the quality tea. Uh, as well, now Japan is realizing that other countries are doing quite a lot of the green tea and there are other countries are doing senchas and matches. And since neither sencha or matcha are geographically, uh, um, geographically protected mm -hmm. uh, denominations, there is a lot of <laughs> confusion. Okay. Oh, so there's no like PDO no, for, okay. No, unfortunately no. And that's, that's, a, big, that's yeah. a big deal because if you were to have a matcha or sencha, uh, knowing that it's a protected name, same as we'll be talking about, I don't know, feta cheese, champagne and parmigiano and whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, that would at least mean that that, tea are, that teas are farmed and parked in Japan, minimum of that. But that's not happening yet. Other categories, let's say as sake, they had a similar issue because sake is also made in over 40 different countries worldwide. Yeah. And they realized that like, well, everybody's doing sake, it's not anymore our craft. And in 2015, they introduced geographic indication. Okay. The only tea category which does have a geographic indication is gyokoro. And that's the tea which we'll be tasting okay. as a first warm tea. Yeah. From the good things, exports are growing. Okay. They're still representing a fraction. So it's about five, 6%, but they are growing. So definitely there's a lot of buzz. Now I think only the lazy blogger will not be talking about matcha. <laughs> Everybody's raving about that. Yeah. The categories are really trending over other tea varieties. So definitely there's less buzz about oolongs, puers, and black tea. People are really associating green tea with something sophisticated and healthy. Um, and another thing which I just kind of recently starting to see really positively impacting the category is that the, um, the tea competitions, we've been hearing a lot about the coffee competitions, but recently a lot of tea competitions. So I, um, I mentioned about Nihonchi Awards, that's a Japanese uh, competition done domestically. However, there is a uh, Grand Prix Paris Award competition, which is also one, the warm tea, one of the centuries you will be able to enjoy it which gone again this year, Grand Prix Paris. And uh, in UK, the um, UK uh, Tea Institute, mm -hmm. they also, I think it's a pretty recent competition called the Leafis. Okay. That's, uh, I think they initiated only since last year, but they're really doing a good job and they do promote 
uh, the teas of the world, but a lot of Japanese teas are picking up their words, which is really cool. Oh, great. So yeah, yeah. so a lot of the international bodies are supporting that. And the new generation of tea farmers. So it's been like, you know, uh, my dad is making tea. Let's escape that hard work. Let's move to Tokyo. But now quite a few of them moving back even from the, even the ones whose families never been in tea industry. And it's really, really inspiring. Because it is cool. You know, you know, when you say like, the negative was people were thinking that it's not, and you know, everybody wants to be in the city, but all of us in the city long to be doing something like in the countryside with our hands and the earth and, you know, it, you need more people to be doing this. It's yeah, so I mean, I think at the beginning it was like a trend of, uh, especially in Japan, they like to, they're, they like to see what the Western countries are doing. They like mm -hmm. to see a different lifestyle, the dining kind of habits. So that was a kind of a first wave. Now, many of that turned into the traditional um, yeah. traditions. And just to give an example, uh, a farmer, he's, he's in his early 30s. Mm -hmm. So his, his family never been into tea. And he uh, moved his family. So it's been already around four years. He's in the middle of a very rural area and growing less than a hectare of organic tea. Just like that. That's his job now. Mm. And that's amazing. Yeah. And I guess more we talk about those farmers, more we are making their teas available, more um, they get support mm. and initiative, and more of them will be doing the same. Yeah. So it's basically kind of admiring others. Maybe you have it in your head to do once in your life, but then you see somebody already doing it and you getting into that. Yeah. Right? And what is also really amazing, and it's definitely su a support for the tea category, are the um interest was japanese tea coming from the celebrity chefs and the fnb experts mm -hmm. um as well the uae based chef if they pay a bit more attention to the selection of the teas they highlight the ritual they um they boost the knowledge among their staff to promote those teas it will also help yeah yeah so i think all that will make a difference just a very, like a, a little moment about the Japanese tea history. So it dates back different sources, um, anything between sixth and seventh century, um, definitely connected to the movements of the Buddhist Buddhism. Mm -hmm. And it was basically an exchange between the Japanese monks um, picking up the, uh, the habits of growing and consuming tea in China, or Chinese monks moving to Japan carrying with themselves cuttings of seeds planting. So it's very, it was really, really nice cultural exchange. And then I will not be stop on everyone. It deserves a completely different <laughs> um, gathering. But uh, the tea has got a really fascinating industry being treated as a medicine. And hence now we're talking a lot about the health benefits. But indeed, it was considered, considered as a medicine as um, um, for you, not only for your body, but also for your mental health. So all the monks, when they are trying to consider all the Zen, yeah. <laughs> it was basically to have that relaxed alertness with a cup of tea. And that's actually, that's what's working. Then the tea was having a really amazing part when it was considered as a gambling, part of the gambling um, practices called Chakabuki. Mm -hmm. So that was the time uh, when the feudals and really kind of wealthy uh, individuals, they would be gathering 
blind tasting the teas and basically gambling on the money, showcasing their pottery collections. Really cool stuff. No, I didn't know that. That was for a while was kind of not really welcomed by the more religious part of the government. Was stopped. Now it's all back. And when we do our graduation parties for our courses, we actually play Chakapuki. <laughs> it's really fun. We'll continue with our tea masterclass and those delicious matcha desserts right after this short break. We wanted to take a minute to tell you about our delicious Spinney's Food olive oil, which comes from the 120-year-old Basso family farms in Italy, which is now a fifth-generation business. Davina, if you remember my masterclass with Matthew Jones of Bread Ahead, this is the olive oil we use to make the focaccia. I remember that. It was delicious. Yes, and part of the reason for that is their use of the Arbequino olive grown in Italy. Here's Federico Basso. The Arbequino olive is usually used in blends because it's very sweet and it has that almond taste, which is very different from the typical strong Italian olive oils that we have. So we use it in blend in order to provide our customers with a product that is uh, as balanced as possible. So it's not too aggressive, but it's also not too plain. We want to find the perfect match in order to satisfy our clients, also in terms of uh, organolectic features of our products. Here's a fun fact. Federico's father, Sabino, eats extra virgin olive oil and bread every morning for breakfast, sometimes with a spoonful of sugar. And didn't you say that he's run many marathons? Clearly, that's the trick. We sourced their extra virgin olive oil, a truffle-infused evu, and a signature Mediterranean blended oil as well. So you should definitely grab a bottle of Spinney's Food olive oil the next time you're in store and tell us what you think. Welcome back. You're listening to Nourished by Spinney's and our tea masterclass with Victoria Toma of Ikigacha. I'll just go show you three uh, stages in any Japanese tea, green tea production. The first part is actually what's happening in the tea garden. So of course, we have the selection of our cultivar, the site, uh, but in terms of the Japanese tea, and that explains quite a lot, uh, if we were to compare Japanese tea to, for example, Indian tea, or Sri Lankan teas, it would be the, what sort of um, uh, variety of the tea plant we'll be using. So just to go like a little bit flashback. So all the teas of the world made from the camellia plant, mm -hmm. which is further on subdivided into camellia uh, sinensis, where all the teas are, and uh, the variety which gives you the decorative flowers. So we'll be using sinensis, mm -hmm. and that further on will be split into the sinensis sinensis, subvariety sinensis, which will be all the Asian uh, mm -hmm. regions using, Taiwan, China, and Japan. And Asamika, Assam team, that will be all uh, countries from the India, Sri Lanka, mm -hmm. Nepal. The difference between those plants is that the Asamika plant gives much bigger leaves and more fibers. So perfect for the black teas, not so great for the green teas, which needs a bit more of a finesse. And then the, the, the first, um, one of the very important decisions that the farmer needs to take, and that will define if I'm making let's say gyokoro or sencha, it will be whether I will shade my garden or not. So intentional shading is basically covering the tea garden with either synthetic or natural straw um, cover. What it will do, it will enhance the umaminess in the tea as it will protect from the sunlight, which converts during the photosynthesis amino acids into the beta-catechins. Mm -hmm. so um, if you want to make matcha, 
you will not just make in a green tea and at the end of the process, ah, oh, matcha, let's powder <laughs> it. Not that easy. If you really want to have a matcha as it needs to be, you need to start with deciding it, of course, which cultivars, and you will need to shade it. Mm -hmm. Matcha is always intentionally shaded tea. Okay. So you need to take that call right now. Okay. And as well, uh, the next tea is a shaded uh, loose tea. It's always shaded, called Gyokoro. And again, in this case, you need to take a decision to shade it. Okay. Is it less shaded than matcha? Yes, oh, okay. yes. So matcha will be the most, uh, require the most shade. Again, matcha is such a difficult category. <laughs> Depending on the uh, quality level, uh, degree of shading and duration and the material of shading will be different. But um, on average, gyokoro will be shaded from two to three weeks before the harvest. And matcha will be, for a very entry kind of grade, it will be two weeks up to five weeks for okay. ceremonial grades. And then definitely harvesting. So everybody talking about the spring harvest. I don't see anybody talking about other harvests. It looks like everybody is just picking up the spring harvest. Mm -hmm. Even though why majority of the guests and consumers don't like green tea, Japanese green tea, because they have access only to summer harvest on, or even autumn harvest. Mm -hmm. Then uh, to actually make a green tea, because if we were to expose the tea leaves after cutting to the oxygen, they will turn bright, brown. So yeah, that's how we get in our black teas, oxidation. Mm -hmm. Same if we were to cut the apple and get in brown. So we need to deactivate the enzyme, which is turning that browning aspect. And in this case, uh, there are two ways to do that. So you can either steam the tea leaves, to apply. you need to apply heat to kill the enzymes. So either you steam it or you pan fry it applying the dry heat. So all the countries, and I think this is the most important element which makes Japanese tea tasting different, is that it's the only country which applies steaming technique rather than dry heat pan frying as the rest of the countries which are making green tea. So definitely steaming is much more laborious technique because you ended up with a bunch of really wet leaves and you need slowly to extract that moisture and it's becoming quite a lengthy process. But at the same time, you're keeping the color nutrients much better and the flavors, the freshness of the flavors. Yeah, so it's a, it seems like a much more delicate process as well, rather than exactly. just like hitting it and, and deep frying it, you know, yeah, yeah. frying it. So yeah. I truly believe that, the, like if you were to compare with China, China is a fantastic country uh, and great source of amazing teas. They're really great in their oolongs, white tea squares, but green tea, let's keep it for Japanese. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> They've done a really good job on that. <laughs> Um, so that's important. And then we go into the cooling, rolling, if we were to go with the uh, loose teas. And at the end of this process, we are actually getting the crude tea. So the high quality producers at this stage, they would be keeping it tight and cool conditions and they'll be refining it as per orders. So all the teas within our collection, they're built to order. Mm -hmm. So the farmers are producing, refining our teas from the crude tea upon our request and matcha okay. will be grinded upon our request okay. and that's the only way to really appreciate the good quality tea and in the last part it will be sorting against against you know some of the teas you will have more stocks in it than leaves mm -hmm. uh, some of the smaller particles they go in for the lesser teas uh, firing with which will further on intensify the flavors blending if it is a case and so on so on and then let's say uh, one of the teas it will be roasted green tea so you'll be processing as a green tea, and then you'll look at, you'll actually have a really amber color of the brew. And you're like, what's happened? It's actually roasting was part of that process. Or one of the teas, it will be adding something else. 
Uh, in this case, we'll be having ginmachi, which is the roasted uh, rice. You can add any other things as mentioned, yuzu, peach, sakura, mm. and whatnot. Or if it's a matcha, it will be grinding. So basically, this will kind of complete uh, the process. So matcha is the only tea that would be ground. I could be very easily saying yes, okay. but not that easy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and there are a few other powdered teas. They are yeah. lesser known. Like for example, the roasted tea. You mm -hmm. can you can also have it in a powdered form. Okay. Um, powdered uh, hojicha. Yeah. Or you can have uh, even the ginmacha with the one with the roasted. You can also have it powdered. But definitely, matcha is the most premium and the most known. But no, there are there are many 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 varieties. Yeah. So, the very first tea is um, as mentioned is a misho gyokoro. So it's coming from. Um, Kyoto prefecture, Uji region. So when we're talking about the uh, Kyoto, everybody would be raving about a specific region within that, which is a benchmark of the, um, of the Kyoto signature teas mm -hmm. called Uji. And what is special about this tea, as mentioned, is shaded. And less than 1% of all Japanese tea is made into Gyokura. So it's, it's really cool. And uh, farming-wise, it can be only harvested in spring. There is no such thing as having it in other seasons. I'm talking about the quality producers. There definitely could be somebody who would be saying that something else, but that's how it should be. And again, shopping for Gyokoro, you need to uh, know the regions which are specialized in that. Okay. So Yami uh, uh, region in Fukuoka prefecture and Uji region in Kyoto will be the ones which are famous for shaded teas. Mm -hmm. All right, so when we're brewing this, this particular tea, it's actually translated as a dewdrop, so you are never drinking it in large, big cups. And in general, um, in terms of the Japanese pottery, um, it's not about... The most important is the type of the uh, teapot, or in this case, we'll be using a uh, little bit more specific type, which is called shibari dashi. It doesn't have any handle, doesn't have really a strainer. It's a kind of pre-ancient type of it that's really cool and rustic. Um, for the cups, you don't really need to match it, mm -hmm. but it's always advisable to have them white because you will be able to appreciate the color, the mm -hmm. clarity. Otherwise, you'll be just having uh, your visual receptors will not be pleased. Yeah, let <laughs> this way. Yeah. Um, pottery is also something which we are extremely passionate about. And this map demonstrates that there are about 37 main uh, kilns in Japan, and we believe i believe we have the widest selection of japanese pottery in the middle east mm -hmm. uh, so we work i mean this is only a fraction of it um, we really think that to complete your ichigo ichi experience you really need to have your favorite pot it really makes you to connect to the moment and increase the level of dopamine yes. <laughs> you already have it with all the beautiful teas this tea is brewed in a different way uh, it has much higher ratio of the tea leaves to water and it's it's brewed up to five times okay so it's brewed in a small portions but you can rebrew it quite multiple times and the first brew to really understand the effect of the shading so again it's not about the bitterness it's about the sweetness and umaminess so mm -hmm. we kind of build in our appreciation of what is umami in the tea yeah so this uh type of the pot this particular one is coming from Shiga Prefecture, so Shigaraya, Shigarayaki uh, type of pottery. Really beautiful and earthy. So that kind of hue on the lid is actually content of the iron, which during the 
um, burning, mm -hmm. it gives you that interesting hues, especially, right? It's really amazing. All right, and now, so we have five grams. You will be using those teacups, not only to drink tea, but also to measure water. And what we will be doing is because by, by adding water into that, we will also adjust the temperature, which will be very pleasing when you when everybody was still drinking. So we will be having, um, by holding uh, the lid, full teapot, full cup. We'll be adding directly on the leaves. And then we take another cup and we also put uh, water and that will be added. So basically for five grams, we have two cups of water. So two cups of water. Once we have it, close it. So we put it directly on the leaves. And we time it two minutes to entertain you during these two minutes to make use of time. Yeah. Um, I have a plan for this brew. So yes. we'll, first, we're going to drink it, of course. And secondly, we will quickly have a second brew and we're going to prepare a dish okay. with the tea leaves. Great. <laughs> How about that? You didn't have your breakfast, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that sounds great. Then breakfast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How breakfast should be. So we will be using um, three flavorings and it's not really something which I totally invented. Um, even if you were to go for a Gyokoro experience in Ginza, a nice place, they're starting to use a little bit of ponzu. I just like a few other things to get even more of the effect of it. Mm -hmm. We will flavor it with two um, seasonings. First one is the organic dry freeze miso mm -hmm. so it's a really really amazing ingredient it's full of beautiful umaminess so it's basically your salt and pepper we will just add a little bit of that is that much enough on the yeah yeah okay. i mean if you like it you can continue okay. and then we will add a little bit just a dash of the ponzu sauce so it's a ponzu sauce is the made of the soy sauce as a base uh yuzu and um, in many cases, it's also flavored with the, with the kombu. Uh, kombu or kotsuboshi, as the, with the, which is the base of the um, clear soups in Japan. So okay. basically, you're kind of dashi stock. Yeah. We'll just add a little bit of that. The sourness of yuzu, it gives you this beautiful touch and highlights on the flavors. So we just have a little bit of that. And then, just to make it a complete um, set of the vitamins we need, we will add some of the... Uh, nori, so seaweed. You can always have it on a on a bed of steamed rice or yeah. soba noodles, or yeah. anytime when you're doing premium green tea, you never throw it. You can add it to your sea rice. You can put it in your salads. You can add it in the into your omelet. Treat it exactly as a spinach. Wow, what a great breakfast! Thank you. <laughs> and you know how healthy it is. Mm -hmm. Imagine it's one percent of the whole tea. You throw it away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do it. Let's have it. Wow, and all these flavors that we've added are delicious as well. So, how often, like per day, how much tea are you drinking and and taking time out to do this whole the whole ceremony of pouring it and everything? I'm starting my morning with a cup of water, mm -hmm. warm water, and then I would be having the very first tea which we had, the sparkling one. You can make it as a warm tea, and it becomes a very soft um very very kind of soothing brew so you don't want to straight away start with the matcha you don't want to um jerk your um, cortisol level mm. that's why it's such a wrong technique to have a uh, strong coffee right away yeah. because you basically kind of 
the pattern is wrong. You know, you need very slowly to build up your stamina towards the day, your conversion of your melatonin into the mm -hmm. more um, invigorating uh, type of compounds yeah. and um, hormones. So the first T will be just to kind of flush all the toxins accumulated from the previous meals. Yeah. Uh, and I will have it before breakfast, just a nice brew, and it's very easy to do it. So it's just, um, it already comes uh, essential matcha in a nice five gram tea bag. So it's very simple, 75 degrees, three minutes, tuck, go. Mm -hmm. And you don't throw away those uh, uh, large tea bags. Yeah. They are quite big, five grams. You don't throw it away. <laughs> That's another life fuck. <laughs> you put it in a fridge and they jellyfy. Because oh. imagine if it has a sencha and matcha, they jellyfy. And that's your... Like iPad. Like iPad. That's such a good idea. Organic sencha with matcha in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> that's what you have. Yeah. And to continue with the sustainability, you don't throw them away after that. You open it and put in the flowers as a fertilizer. Ah, yeah, that's really good. It's very good. So how about this uh, salad? I love it. Oh, great. Right? Yeah. And does it depend on kind of which tea it is, whether you can eat it or yeah. not? Or yeah. Okay. So for example, your sanchas, high quality sanchas and gyokuras all will be in that kind of soft way. Okay. This gyokura is also shaded, so it will have even less bitterness. So, but again, if you want to have just a touch of the bite, especially in your fries or in your omelette, mm -hmm. uh, good quality sencha will do as well. Oh, that's such a good idea to put in your omelette. Yeah, I mean, why to throw it away? Yeah, this is good to know. Absolutely. Just think of all the tea that might have been thrown by people that yeah. you don't know. That again, if you were just to have an um, autumn harvest silly yeah, tea, yeah. it won't do that. It will be yeah. just kind of. Um, you know, rough mm. texture and it will be a bit more chewy as well. This leaves are seriously young yeah. mm. and treated with atmosphere. So yeah. they give you those beautiful flavors. So if you get the spring tea, how long can you keep it for at home? Great question. So first of all, the question starts on how do we buy tea? So when we buy a tea, always try to rely on the label which has got the farmer's detail, not the brand headquarters detail. <laughs> because in this case, the tea is being repacked. Mm. And some of the teas, probably some of the black teas, they're more forgiving. Some of the, I don't know, herbal teas potentially. But with the green teas, they don't like travel. They don't like temperature. They don't like humidity. They don't like time. They're so finicky. Mm. So uh, knowing where it's coming from and um, having that production date from the production, not from packing. Because okay. the bigger brands, they will basically repack and production date is a repacking date. Yeah. You know, which is, you can't trace it really. Mm. So you buy it and uh, none of the good uh, quality farmers, they will give you more than 12 months from the production. So it's a 12 months. And again, even on top of that, um, it's important to see that, let's say, that's why we opened the boutique as a brick and mortar first mm -hmm. before having the e-commerce platform mm -hmm. which we just launched just a while ago okay, cool. because there are so many uh, you know e-commerce websites selling teas and you know you really don't know anymore how they are treated at least our guests can come see that our teas are you know who we are taste with mm -hmm. us couple teas see that all our premium teas are kept in the fridge and in this case they will be the confident and they can make it more convenient way of buying the teas mm. so it's important how you brought it, all our teas, as mentioned, they're built to order and they're all air freighted. And with every order, our farmers are sending us letter. <laughs> it's just the last story. Uh, so from uh, if it's bought in that fresh stage and, you know, it's correctly labeled, 12 months from the production. 
And if you if you buy once you have the tea, so even if it has got zip packed, all of that, you open it airtight, mm -hmm. duck, mm -hmm. not plastic containers, airtight duck fridge okay yeah. yeah so black teas are fine they are much more forgiving but matcha senjus and gyokuro fridge good okay good to know yeah and it really uh, you know helps them to you know to please you anytime you have it yeah so important all right you can just Great. destroy that you know and then yeah you, you yeah. can you can actually destroy even the best tea if you yeah. correct i mean first of all you need to buy it then you need to store it and then you need to brew it and yeah. there are so many things in between but few tips is mm. again we are um we are helping the consumers in trade just to make the best of their teas yeah mm. to buy them in the right way you don't need to buy always the the most expensive teas yeah but you can read between the line and select really great teas affordable part of your daily life and really make best of it and substitute some of your you know pharmaceutical <laughs> preparation yeah. with the more natural ones so, I mean, well, we don't need to buy eye patches anymore yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Oh, I love matcha it. time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> matcha do about matcha. <laughs> okay. If somebody asks you what is matcha, how would you answer? What I usually say? say that it tastes dusty and too grassy in terms of taste mm -hmm. and like almost too thick, I think, when I've had it. Like it's that sensation in my mouth. Um, but actually, I wouldn't really be able to tell you what it is. I will tell you that majority of the consumers, they're pretty much thinking of the matcha the same way. And the reason is majority of the matcha availability on the market is actually fitting that description. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's a snowball effect of misconception. And okay, I will try matcha just because it's healthier than coffee. Okay, I'll try once. Okay, give me a latte, a lot of milk. Mm. But it's not about that. So, and the uh, um, majority of the coffee shops, also guilty of using um, not the grade of the matcha which will give you the beautiful even barista drink not even talking about the some of the usucha grades which is like matcha americano or even as the ceremonial type of it so it's definitely very very popular and in a nutshell it's a powdered green tea but it should be the only country which is doing matcha as it should be, is Japan. There is no such thing as a Chinese matcha or Korean matcha. It is not. So if you just have a green tea and you powder it for me, it's just a powdered green tea. Mm -hmm. It's a matcha-like product. Okay. It has nothing to do with matcha. Origin, um, the way of preserving the green element of it, mm -hmm. and the shading. Okay. So we still want for high-quality matcha to have the savoriness of matcha and not the dustiness. Mm -hmm. Okay. That dustiness and bitterness are coming from either uh not the quality origins wrong storage mm -hmm. or it's past it best basically yeah right but that's actually what when we're discussing about the shading this is actually mm -hmm. masahiro-san so he is the farmer uh of the sentient gyokoro which we taste okay and we have ceremonial matcha from him as well so basically during the shading for matcha we intensify in the umaminess mm -hmm. and we also preserve in the chlorophyll okay. even more okay. So for the matches, ceremonial matches, our ceremonial 36 days plus. Okay. So we actually, we like to have that beautiful emerald color in matcha. And yeah. because of the shading, we do that. Okay. This is so fascinating. Thank you. Actually, what we're going to do to make your life is even more interesting. Do we have ice cream? 
Spinis ice cream, please. <laughs> we're gonna do uh, the usuccia matcha. Okay. And we're gonna serve it as affogato. Oh, nice. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, when we, whatever we are doing, lattes, usuccias, or as part of affogatos, initially we're preparing matcha base. Uh, if it is a latte, then it's basically your matcha espresso. To pre and it's much easier to make that we're making the coffee espresso because yeah. we don't need all the sophistication machines. We use we have a very very simple, oh perfect. So we actually have your organic one, vanilla. There is yeah. some, <laughs> not that much, but it is there. Um, so what you need to all what you need is the whisk, mm -hmm. a bowl of your choice. Um, if you really starting to get into the matcha at home, invest in one stand because it prolongs the life of your whisk for significantly better period of time. Okay. Because after you you finished your preparation, you wash it only with the water, mm -hmm. and then you will just insert it, and it will dry beautifully. Okay. Mm. This product is my uh, pashminion, mm -hmm. my weakness. Yeah. <laughs> because um, it's endless um, passion. Yeah. It goes beyond that. Uh, we are really pleased to work with um, one of the oldest chassin maker. Oh, wow. So this particular chassins, they're coming from the producer who's been making uh, chassins for 27 generations. Oh, wow. wow. 27, 27 generations. 27 generations. Majority of the chassin, the quality Japanese chassin, is made in Nara prefecture. Okay. And to uh, receive the bamboo of this quality before you uh, you tailor it into chassin, you need to age it for six years. Wow. So this is very important element into your things. And then basically very simple. You could also have a bamboo spoon, which is called chashaku. Mm -hmm which definitely gives another choreography and it's a nice way to uh, to scoop and it takes around one gram, one and a half gram of the matcha. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's it. Okay. This, uh, the, um, the kansui, which is the waste uh, bowl, can be definitely substituted with just any bowl and, uh, and yeah. So I'll just show you technique. It's by no means a, a ceremony. Ceremony is uh, something which is completely different level of sophistication, but I will show you techniques which will help you to do matcha or any matcha preparation anytime you wish with confidence. And again, everything has got its uh, its meaning. So for example, the, the lead of this kansu is uh, decorated with the flowers, which are the emperor flower. And uh, this flower is the signature of the um, Topunaga guild uh clan so it's a very very famous feudal uh which a very famous tea master sanryuki was his tea master okay. so it's the, the whole story yeah very interesting and don't get intimidating about the form element different school has got different approach to form okay urasenki is all about very very foamy thick foamy matcha amatisenki has nothing to do with form so it's a personal uh pleasure mm. uh, some of the also tea master, you will see so many different ways of preparing, putting some little bit of cold water, mixing, then adding. This is not correct. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no. We add in the, the powder, we add in the tea we need, and we prepare in it. Okay. We don't have these multiple versions of the different temperature of the water. Since you, and I want you really to get the benefit of this moment, since your bowl is 
is, is, since your bowl is warm, it's better to put matcha right away and inhale it before even you do anything else. So you will actually feel the aromas of it. And it's actually easier to do the whisking as you stand because your focus of the body is okay. you know, helping you to, to gravitate. When you whisk, you try not to move the elbow part. It's all about the wrist. Yeah. It's easier. You made it look so easy and effortless. <laughs> it's a matter of how many matches per day you make. Yeah. <laughs> okay, as you whisk, I'm yeah. going to bring some of the matcha desserts. Okay, cool. I mean, I'm trying not to move my elbow. That's the hard part. Yeah. It's just because I'm trying to just move my wrist and it's don't, hard. Don't, don't worry. Don't worry if you're not making perfect bubbles. It's okay. You're I mean, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> it's not happening. <laughs> I'm not worried. I'm just like, well. So in this case, I think it's better to uh, to have it with a dessert. Oh, wow. Matcha cheesecake. Okay. Super simple. You can, I actually have a recipe on our website because it's just so simple to do. Um, I like to add the matcha just before serving. Okay. Is this good now? Right. Very good for the first time. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> and I also made a matcha tiramisu. Oh my gosh. So wow. This is very simple. Cute. All right. So have you have a sip of your matcha so at okay. least you understand it. Oh wow. So it's has nothing to do with not, the bitterness and, and dustiness. No, dusty. That is not dusty and not fake. Okay, let's let's cheer for that. I How is that possible? Whatever I've been drinking has clearly not been proper matcha. Mm. Nothing should give us pain. Yeah, this is yeah. nice. It should not give us pain. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Oh, this is so nice. I mean, I've had the same problem as you, Tiff. I think every time I've tried it, I just find it gloopy. Yeah. And you don't want to. Yeah. Almost like it's like this thick layer getting stuck yeah. in your throat. We ask everybody on our podcast one question, um, and that is, what nourishes your soul? After a couple of couple of cups of tea, it becomes a difficult question. <laughs> um, there are a few things which gives me the, the right proportion of the nourishment. First of all, uh, appreciation of what I do by my family. When I see that my daughters and my husband are fully embracing uh, the beauty of the Japanese tea and uh, they help me to uh, with my trips they help me with my they assist me with my uh, projects and uh, they volunteer all for them i feel that i really have got my ikigai right my purpose right and it gives me energy to keep moving secondly are the consumers who are becoming friends and uh, the conversion of those who don't believe in the beauty and the power of Japanese tea in its authenticity. And after a couple of cups of tea, they are wowing about, I have never thought that the tea can be that delicious. I feel so empowered. And I only feel that I need to keep passing this message and demystifying the world of Japanese tea to a wider audience. Oh, well, thank you for doing that. You've converted yet another person. Yeah, so definitely. Yeah. Well done in three hours. And I'm a hard person to convert. I am. So what about you, Davina? <laughs> yeah, I mean, for matcha, 100%. I mean, I've tasted like, you know, different types of teas before. But like you, you know, before this, uh, you have a certain perception of what, you know, this tea is or how it tastes. Or uh, I have genuinely never tasted matcha like this mm. in my life.
even as a consumer, right, what to expect or what to demand because it's your right as a consumer to say, I want good quality. Yeah. But to now know what that good quality is, yeah. is it's a whole new perspective because um, yeah. now I know what, you know, when I get something, I'm like, this is not what it's meant to be. Thank you. You just gave me my portion of nourishment. <laughs> I feel so great. <laughs> but, you know, mentioned about the consumers, of course, the consumers, we first of all need to kind of have the right choices, yeah. which, we do, which we don't get disappointed because so mm. often we don't know what we uh, opt for and then yeah. get disappointed and maybe probably will get discouraged to try it one more time. Exactly. Mm. But it's also very important to educate the trade professionals, mm -hmm. both the involved in the, in the hospitality as well as wider sector. Mm -hmm. Because every restaurant who will be serving incorrectly a tea, either it's a loose tea or matcha, will be passing that to the to the, their guests yeah. and the guests will be pursuing it as that's the standard yeah you know and there's a responsibility and accountability it's a responsibility yeah. exactly yeah yeah and uh, probably another thing which is nourishing as well is to see the passion of the uh people behind making those beautiful teas mm. i mean we are just the messengers yeah. <laughs> yeah you know i'm blessed to work with those beautiful farmers to have their teas and uh, have the parcels with their handwritten letters <laughs> But they, uh, some of them are generation after generation, are devoting their lives to this hard work. So, and as any agricultural work, and especially in those terrains which are mountainous, they don't have the high level of mechanization and uh, not probably supported that much of their governmental bodies. They basically carry on doing for many generations and not giving up, even that it sometimes gets, gets against the trend. Mm -hmm. So imagine when the coffee, everyone is moaning about the coffee and RTDs, and pre-bottled um, teas, mm -hmm. and they still would be in the teas to be consumed in the traditional way. Yeah. And they never give up. And I believe anything you pursue with such fashion finally gets appreciated. Thank you so much yeah, for your thank time. You. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much. Been appreciate it. So enriching and jeepers, I've learned a lot. Um, yeah, so thank you. I really liked her answer, getting our ikigai right. And I think I'm going to make that my theme for 2024. Me too. Actually, I was cleaning the bookshelf this weekend <laughs> and I pulled out the ikigai book and I was ah. like, I need to reread that again. Yeah. yeah. This episode was brought to you by Spinneys and is hosted by me, Tiffany Eslick and Davina Devicha. We're produced by Chirag Desai. You can follow Spinneys on Instagram, Facebook and TikTok for more. And also visit us at spinnies.com, where you can shop for fresh produce and a variety of local and exclusive products. We'll be back in two weeks with a new guest. See you then.